All right, all right. Well, let's read our, um, our declaration together. Father God, I thank you that I prosper in all things and in health, even as my soul, mind, will, and emotions prospers. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to Luke 5, 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. And it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gessenaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and, and, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Today I want to talk to you guys about being in the middle of a miracle. Being in the middle of a miracle. Like if you've ever been in the middle of any kind of situation that wasn't really working out for you, it can be kind of frustrating, right? And in this situation here, this passage, Peter, James, and John had, they had an unfruitful night of fishing. They, they were out all night. They hadn't caught anything. But they weren't just fishing for sport, right? These are guys, these are, are, are businessmen. These are independent contractors. Right? If they didn't catch fish, they didn't make money. If they didn't catch fish, they didn't eat. They didn't feed their families. Right? So their stakes were pretty high in what they were doing. So I could imagine Peter being slightly frustrated when Jesus decides to offer him some fishing advice. Right? In verse 4, when he comes out and he says, you know, now go out into the deep. Go out into the deep. And let down your nets and catch some fish. I mean, I'm sure Peter was probably thinking, what do you think we was doing all night, Jesus? Yeah. Right? We weren't just hanging out out there. And as a matter of fact, aren't you a carpenter? Like, I'm a fisherman. What are you talking about? Stay in your lane, Jesus. Right? Like, leave the fishing to me. Now, I think this is, this is what a lot of us do when we find ourselves in the middle and the Holy Spirit is trying to give us direction, right? Trying to give us some direction. And we've been toiling in a season, and we're ready to throw in the towel. But when we're in the middle, the middle can be scary. Mm -hmm. The middle can just be uncomfortable, right? When you're in the middle, all you see is the opposition. Right. When you're in the middle, all you see is, is the problem and how big the obstacles are. 
Like our minds can be mean to us. Like our own thoughts will tell us that I'm never going to get over this addiction. Our own minds will tell us that I'm never going to get over this sickness. Ladies, your own mind will tell you I'm never going to find a good man. But let me tell you, boo-boo, you already got a good man. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Our response is often negative when we're in the middle, right? But Peter's response to Jesus, it was profound words, right? When he's in the middle, it was profound words of faith and obedience. Even though things weren't working out for him, weren't working out in his favor, even though things didn't seem promising at all for him, he says in verse 5, but at your word. But at your word, Jesus, I'll let down the nets. And it was in the middle of his disappointment, in the middle of his discouragement, that Peter was simply obedient. He was just obedient. And in one cast, one fell swoop, he caught more fish than they had ever caught in their entire career. I feel like there's somebody in here today who's washing your net too soon. You're washing it too soon. You're just, you're in the middle, right? You are in the middle. See, when God moves, he can... He can flip the script overnight. That's right. He can flip the script overnight. He can turn everything around in your life at the drop of a dime. He's God. Amen. God will come in. He come out of nowhere and just blow your mind in a situation that seems to be going straight downhill. Right? He can intervene and, and, and he can interfere with people, with places, with processes, with problems, with predicaments. And he can do it suddenly. He can do it suddenly with your yes, with your obedience. That's why we can never quit. You can never give up. No matter how long the night seems, he promised us joy in the morning. Amen? Amen. So don't go washing your nets too early. Because God can turn your misery into a miracle with your obedience. And we see this confirmation in the Bible when we see the Apostle Paul who was asked to get up and spread the gospel. We see it when Abraham was asked to give up what was most sacred to him, his son Isaac. We see it when Moses was asked to speak up to confront Pharaoh about letting God's people go. And when Daniel was asked to stand up and not yield to the demands and the compromises faith. In every one of these cases, God rewards their obedience. See, when you're wholeheartedly, when you wholeheartedly yield to God, he'll do things in you, through you, and for you that you can't logically explain to people. After Peter, John, and James fished all night without catching anything, they were most likely frustrated because it seemed like their efforts were in vain. That's why I love Jehovah Zakar. Ain't nothing you're doing in vain. He remembers you. He sees what you're doing, and he will reward it with your obedience. So they think that their, their efforts are in vain, but really they're in the middle of a miracle, and they don't even know it. That's the faithfulness of God. Now, I don't think that, that Jesus performed this miracle just to, to hook these dudes up. Right? Jesus often told Stories. He often told parables to, to, to people. But in this situation, he was actually allowing his disciples 
to live out a parable. So today I want to look at four things that living, this living parable here can teach us when we find ourselves in the middle of a miracle. Amen? Amen. First is when you're in the middle of a miracle, we're not qualified to handle it on our own. We're not qualified to handle it on our own. It's clear that Peter, Peter wasn't qualified to do what God was calling him to do. You think that, that having the biggest catch of his life, like Peter would have been so excited, right? Like you think the first thing he would have been like, would have been like, Jesus, that's what's up, man. Like same place, same time, tomorrow, let's do this again. Let's get this money. Right? But that's not what Peter did. Look at what he did in verse 8. It says that Simon Peter saw it, and he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, that might seem like unusual behavior to us, but it's the same behavior that we look at that we read about in Isaiah chapter 6, where the prophet Isaiah is in the temple, and God calls him. And he has this close encounter with God. Right? And God gives him a vision of him sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And it says the train of his robes filled the temple. Now, as a prophet, being in his presence like that, you would think would be a dream come true. Right? You've used me all this time, and finally, Lord, I'm here in your presence. But look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, 5. So, so I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Another version says, says, I'm ruined. I think the message says that I, I'm as good as a dead man. Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, being in the presence of God means that he was, he was, he was in the presence of holiness, of holiness. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God dwells in unapproachable light and no one has ever seen God in the fullness of his glory and lived to tell about it. When Moses came out of his presence, he had to wear a veil over his face because of the glory that was on him. No one has ever seen the face of God. I mean, not even when, when Isaiah's in, this, in this, this temple, in this throne room, not even the angels in his presence were able to do so. Isaiah said that they had six wings, two of them they used to just cover up their faces. Like these, these seraphim, these angels with six wings, they, they had to cover up their own faces. They lived that close. These sinless creatures lived so close to God, but they couldn't look upon the Lord. That's how holy he is. If being in the presence of the Lord, being in the presence of God doesn't cause you to respond in reverence, then you need to check the location of your heart. You need to check your, your heart location. When I put in a destination in Google Maps and I make a wrong turn, it says recalculating, recalculating. And some of us, our hearts need to recalculate and come back to God. They need to recalculate and come back to God because you could be sitting right here in the church and not be here, not be your heart, not be fully surrendered to God. So some of us need to recalculate. 
You know, you could be sitting here and just miss it. When Peter falls down at Jesus' knees and begs him to leave, it's because he senses for the first time that he is in the presence of holiness. That he is in the presence of holiness. He's so close to the holiness of God. Peter immediately knows who's in that boat with him. And it causes him to just surrender. He knows that only the Messiah, only the Son of God, can cause the fish to obey. To say the least, Peter isn't qualified to answer Jesus' call. But Peter doesn't know that he's also in the middle of an even greater miracle. He had no idea, but Jesus knew that within a couple of years, he'd take all of Peter's sins, past, present, and future, and suffer the penalty for not only him, but for all of us as well. And through Peter's faith, he'll find forgiveness and be made a bold son of God and actually preach the gospel to thousands. You see, it wasn't until Jesus' death and resurrection that, that Peter found himself on the other side of his miracle. And Peter would have missed out had he trusted in himself, had he trusted in his own skills as a fisherman or trusted in his own experience and expertise rather than trusting in Jesus. He would have missed out on what up to this point was the most amazing experience of his life. And so I'm asking you today, what are you missing out on? What are you missing out on? Because we've all felt underqualified for something, right? We've all sucked at something, right? But what that feeling does is it prevents you from taking a leap of faith and trusting in God. So it's, it's essential that, that in our walk with God that we put all of these fears and all of these feelings in proper perspective. I mean, the truth is, is that none of us are ultimately qualified. Jesus, Jesus is the only one that qualifies us. And the Apostle Paul reminds us this in Ephesians 2.10 where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, Jesus doesn't call, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. I can't tell you how I got here. I ain't qualified for this. I was called. Amen. It's your yes that will qualify you. Calling the unqualified has always been God's specialty. It's always been a specialty. We can look at the heroes of our faith. David, Solomon, Joseph, Esther, Ruth, Moses, Miriam, Deborah. The list just goes on. And this challenged me. It challenged me. And, and I thought to myself, what blessings have I missed out on? Because I sometimes trust in myself more than I trust in Jesus. Why do I, have, why do I find it so hard to believe that Jesus knows more than Marlon? Why do I find it so hard to just trust in him rather than trusting in myself? And that brings me to my second point, 
which is when you're in the middle of a miracle, it's often hard to discern what God's doing in the midst. It's often hard to discern what he's doing. See, without faith, it's, it's hard to see God's hand at work because we focus on our misfortunes more than we focus on the, mir- the miracle that's happening. I mean, if Jesus wanted to, Jesus could have told all them fish, commanded all them fish to leap out of that sea and just jump into the boat. Right. He's Jesus, right? He's the one who heals the sick and raises the dead. He didn't need the nets. He could have just said, forget about the nets and forget about them. He could have just commanded all the fish to jump in. But that's not typically how God works. He's so gracious, he's so faithful, so merciful, that he involves us in his supernatural work. And it's not because he needs to, because he don't need to, he's God. He doesn't need to. But when we respond in faith and obedience, it brings him pleasure, it gives him glory, and it makes us joy-filled and satisfied in him the way that we were created to be. He wants to use us. He chooses to use us because it glorifies him. It builds our faith. But the trade-off is this right here, is that we won't always know what's happening in the middle. We won't always know what he's doing. But I ask myself, do I want a God that I can explain or do I want a God that I can exalt? I want a God that I can exalt, that I can extol. Because the God, the God of infinite majesty, he can't be measured. Mm -hmm. The God who unleashes miracles, he can't be contained. Right? This God who who loves eternally, he cannot be explained. That's why Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, As you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Like, how do you explain that? How do you, I don't know how to explain, how do you explain that he he just creates a a baby with bones inside of a woman's womb? Like, like how do you do that? Which way is the wind blowing? Like, you can't explain God. You can barely explain the mashed potatoes that you made on Thursday without showing a YouTube video. We can't explain God. God sees way more than we see. He knows more than we know. If we only agree to follow God when we understand what he's doing, we'll always stop short of experiencing his wonders and his glory in our lives. And it's a choice for us. We actually get this, this is a choice. We can either let the mystery of God feed our doubt or fuel our wonder. We can let his mysteries fuel our doubt or we can let it uh, feed our, our, fuel our wonder. Abraham, he praised God beneath the stars even though he didn't understand how he'd become the father of nations. David praised God in the wilderness even though he didn't understand why he was running for his life instead of sitting on the throne. Israelites, they praised God with a mighty shout, even though they didn't understand how Jericho's walls would fall without a fight. Peter had no no idea what to expect from Jesus when he told them to head out into the deep and let down their nets. Yet, even though they had been out all night toiling, 
even though he was the fisherman and Jesus was the carpenter. Even though when he told him this, this was probably midday, probably the worst time to go fishing. Peter said, Master, at your word, we'll let down the nets. You see, we, we have to train ourselves to stop focusing on the mess we're in and focus on the miracles that God can produce in our lives. We got to train ourselves that even when the outcome doesn't look promising, just roll the dice on Jesus. Just roll the dice on Jesus. Be determined to praise him in the chaos of life because what we do know about God is far more important than what we don't know. What we do know is that he loves us and he'll never leave us. What we do know is that he's for us and not against us. What we do know is the the word of God is true and his heart is kind. We do know that he's working every little bit, every little thing out for your good. That's what we do know. God wants us to step into things by faith. In order to come out of something, first you got to get in it. Right? So in order to to get out of bed, you got to get in first. One of the greatest things about living for God is the joy of coming out. Is the joy of coming out, being delivered, coming out from the addiction. Right? It's the joy of coming out, being set free of worry and anxiety, coming out, being loosed from the enemy and, and, and the grip of sin, the joy of coming out. Right? There is joy when you come out of your trials. Recently, uh, Pastor Michelle, uh, she went through this pretty, pretty big transition at work. And um, earlier this week, I think it was Tuesday, she had a pretty rough day. And I figured this out because about midday she was going on lunch and we were going to go do a midday grocery uh, shopping trip. And I was in the bedroom getting ready and she came up in the bedroom and I started to just run my mouth about myself because that's what I do. And... <laughs> And I looked up and I immediately saw the worry that was on her face. And I asked her what was wrong and she told me what was happening that day at work. And it was pretty big, you know. And the pastor in me, the preacher, was like, practice on her. <laughs> She's just in the middle of a miracle. Just go ahead and practice on her. You know, you can, you can, you can, you can practice this sermon on her right now. And lift her spirits up. My spirit said, do you not like your left eye? Because she's a righty. <laughs> and so I listened to my spirit and I just hugged her and I just listened to her and prayed about it. And don't you know, by the end of that day, God is so faithful. By the end of that day, she got all the right emails that she needed. She got all the right calls that she needed to solve the problem that she was in. You see, when we're dealing with difficult situations or difficult seasons, it doesn't matter how big or how small it is, it's easy for us to be stressed out. But what we need to realize is that we are not in the middle of difficulties. We are in the middle of a miracle that God wants to produce in your life. His his, his promises are always yes and amen. He is going to do what he says that he's going to do. His word never comes back void, right? He's going to bring you out on the other side. Amen? The third thing is when you're in the middle of a miracle, you can have peace. You can have peace. 
There is nothing happening to you right now that God hasn't already enfolded into his plan for your life. Nothing. He's using every little thing for his purposes, for his glory, and for your good. He's always working in the background. Amen? Amen. But see, it takes humility to trust God. It takes humility to trust him. Just to believe that, that, you know what, I'm not qualified to solve my own problems. I ain't that smart. I ain't that wise. I ain't that powerful. It takes humility to do what the disciples did in verse 11 and leave everything behind and follow him. Leave it all. You can be sure that part of the everything that the disciples left behind was their quest for personal glory. Because think about it. This is the biggest catch that anybody has ever seen. It said the boats, both boats were sinking. They could have easily went back to shore and got all the praise from all the people that were standing there who witnessed what had happened. There wasn't a big light that shone down on Jesus when it happened. They, 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 they could have gave them all the credit. But they made a conscious decision right there to start living for his glory instead of their own. Our flesh loves attention. It loves attention. And you can sit there and look at me like, not my flesh, Pastor. Yes, your flesh too. It loves attention. I guarantee you that whatever you post today, you're going to go back and look five, three, four, five, ten times a day to see who liked it. Who liked it? But Matthew 6.1 says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Oh, we love to be seen by them. We love to be seen by them. And this is Jesus' warning about what we should be aware of and try to avoid. Like this, our culture has installed this opportunity into a little device that we carry with us 24-7. This scripture, though, it, 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 it scared me enough to stop posting as much as I, I posted because I know myself, I know me, I've lived with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, I post something, I'm like, oh, like it, like it, like it, please like it. I come back later on, like, how many people liked it? Man, only 50? I know more than 50 people. Like it. But let me tell y'all, I'd rather be loved by one. I'd rather be loved and known by one than to be liked by many. That's right. Notice verse 11 didn't say, so when they had brought their boats to land, they took 17 selfies, posted them, and became and went viral. That's not what happened. These disciples did just the opposite. It says that they took everything. They left everything behind. They didn't even take the catch. They could, you know how much money they could have got off of that? They would have been set for life. They didn't even take the catch. It says that they left everything, everything, and followed him. 
That means the boats, that means the nets, that means the, the fish. They left it all to follow Jesus. From that day forward, they decided that they were going to live for him, for his glory and not their own. I read an article that a pastor read, uh, wrote, and it says, uh, being a disciple of Jesus isn't like being an apprentice to a master craftsman. If you're an apprentice, you start your career by depending on your mentor for everything. But over time, as you learn the craft, you become increasingly independent. That's the goal, to no longer depend on the master until you become a master yourself. Please notice the Christian life is exactly opposite of this. We start out believing that we're independent, that we're in charge, that we're the king, that we sit on the throne. Then over time, we learn, however slowly, to surrender more and more of our lives to the one true king, to Jesus Christ. You see, living a Christian life is ultimately this movement from independence to ever-creasing dependence on him. Living a Christian life means that that we can't tell the story of our lives without talking a lot about Jesus, right? A Christian, as a Christian, like, it, it shouldn't make sense trying to tell your story without talking about Jesus. Pastor Michelle and I have been together for seven years now, and the one thing I could tell you about my wife is that 99% of the time that I walk away from a con- having a conversation with her, I don't walk away all the time thinking about how great a person she is, She's a great person. I know that. I walk away from a conversation with her thinking, man, Jesus is amazing. I walk away from a conversation thinking about how great Jesus is, how remarkable our Savior is, and how if Jesus did that for her, man, he can do it for me. Seven years we've been together, and I'm still thinking this. I don't ever walk away from a conversation solely thinking about how great Pastor Michelle is. Why? Pastor Michelle doesn't allow me to think that way. She doesn't even give me that option. She's so busy bragging on Jesus and all Jesus has done for her life and what Jesus is doing in our lives that I don't get that option to. Jesus is the reoccurring theme in her life. Michelle's life doesn't make sense to me without Jesus. It doesn't make sense. She's placed all of her, ba- all of her eggs in one basket, and it reads, Jesus. It doesn't make sense to me. And when you live with a person like that, it's going to do one or two things. You're either going to get sick of hearing the name of Jesus. Or it's going to make you take a real hard look in the mirror at yourself. And what it's done for me over the years is the latter. I've had to take a real hard look at myself. And lately, I've been thinking, when I die, if anyone offers a eulogy for me, I pray that it sounds like this. Marlon Sattler's life made no sense without Jesus. If Jesus wasn't real, if Jesus wasn't the Son of God, if Jesus didn't die for our sins, if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, then Marlon Sattler wasted his life. I pray that it sounds something like that. When I die, I hope that, that, that people can't talk about me 
What a boring subject without talking about Jesus. Lord knows that I'm far from it. But by the grace of God, I pray that I get there. The fourth point only happens when you learn to reinterpret your problems. When you reinterpret the problems that we face. When you can see that instead of being in the middle of difficulties, that you're actually in the middle of a miracle, when you see things that way, we want to witness. We want to witness to people. You can't help but to do the work of evangelism when you see things that way. We should have a desire to share the love and hope with the unlovable and the hopeless. You see, and it's not about, it's not about memorizing Scripture and, 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 and reading, reciting Scripture to people. I do that for me. I do that to change me. Mm-hmm. Right? Paul said it's about comforting the, and loving others with the same comfort and love that you've been comforted with. That's what it's about. Like, we should be willing to tell anybody who listens to us, anybody who knows us, anybody who will spend a little bit of time with us about Jesus. Our faith should be attractive to other people. It should be contagious, amen? I want us to start doing what Jesus says all of his disciples are supposed to do in verse 10. It says, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. We should be catching everybody, everybody he puts in front of us in the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. Nothing else but to praise him. For early disciples, the command of Jesus was crystal clear. There was, there was nothing ambiguous about it. Jesus commanded his disciples to go and tell. What started as a clear commandment is now just not so clear. It's, it's almost this optional suggestion to us today. Statistics tell us that 95% of Christians have never led someone to Christ. That should hurt our hearts. That broke my heart when I read that, and I told Pastor Michelle the other night, and I, like I, that broke my heart. 95%, that means that five of us in here brought somebody to Christ. Five of us. According to one poll, when Christians were asked if they had a responsibility to share the faith, 73% said yes. However, when asked if they had actually shared with someone how to come to faith in Jesus and last, last year, 48% said no. There's only one group who told more people about Jesus during that period of time. And that group, drum roll please, <laughs> was the millennials. I know, right? Bunch of lazy screen watchers. 
Yeah, the millennials, people born between early 1990s and mid, I'm sorry, early 1980s and mid 1990s, the digital natives. More than 65% of that group actively shared their faith with lost friends. Why am I sharing these statistics with you, these figures with you? There's one important point. Telling people about Jesus is not optional. It's a command. It is a command. The early, the early disciples, they, they, they seen Jesus arrested. They seen him severely beaten. They seen his lifeless body taken off of a cross and placed into a borrowed tomb. Three days later, the grave was empty. Three days later, the grave was empty and Jesus was alive. He commanded them to meet him on a mountain. And on that mountain, he gave these marching orders. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. You see, on that mountain, Jesus didn't give a suggestion. He gave a command. And anything less than obedience is disobedience to Jesus. You know how many people there are right now that you and I know that are in the middle? They're in the middle of a miracle, and they don't even know it. They don't know it because they don't know the way maker. They don't know it because they don't know the, 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 the promise keeper. They don't know the miracle worker. That's why they don't know it. But they need us to tell them. They need us to tell them, don't give up. Don't give up. I know somebody. Your healing is on the other side. They need us to tell them, stick with it. I know somebody. Your deliverance is knocking at the door. You're just in the middle right now. They need us to ask them, come to church. Come to church, man. I know somebody. The chains want to fall off of you. You know, 80% of them that you ask will come. You just have to ask. They just don't know what they don't know. Amen? Stand with me when we close. All these people that, that don't know that they're standing in the middle. We have this obligation. We have a duty to introduce them to their savior. I've watched Pastor Mike and Pastor Trina fill that role up several times. And it's just asking, come to church. Let me put it another way, and it might sting a little bit. It's a sin. It's a sin not to share. If you know what Jesus has done for you, we know what Jesus has done for us. And we're commanded by Jesus to share the hope with others who are lost. To simply say nothing is a sin. James 4.17 says it this way, if anyone then knows the good 
they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Ouch, James. We have to get a passion about fishing for and catching men, women, boys, girls with the good news of Jesus Christ. Get passionate about fulfilling the Great Commission. All of us are going to appear before God someday and he is going to hold us accountable for how well or how poorly we did. Facts. Church, we got some work to do when it comes to witnessing and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're not where we need to be, but we shouldn't be satisfied with where we are. We can't be satisfied with where we are with our fishing efforts. We have a problem doing the kind of fishing that Jesus describes in this scripture today. Or maybe it's not a problem. Maybe our current lack of fishing success means that we're just in the middle of a miracle. And when we reach the other side of that miracle, I believe that we're going to see dozens of people. Dozens of people in here crowding into this church to hear the good news, to repent, and to be saved. Amen? So, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for all that you're doing, God. We know, Father, that you don't call the qualified, but you qualify the called, Lord. Jesus, we can't do anything apart from you. So help us, God, to discern that you're in the middle of everything, working all things out for our good. I pray, Father, that we would find peace knowing, Lord, that you're in control and there's nothing going on in our lives that you haven't already enfolded into your plan for your glory, for our good. Lord, give us the boldness to be unashamed and to cast our nets this week and to catch all that will listen, all that will hear as we share the good news of Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that we have ears to hear. We thank you for your direction, your leadership, your guidance. Have your way in our lives this week, God. We bless you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. If you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity today. We're going to have some pastors and some altar ministers up here. We would love to pray with you. Make sure you come this way before you go that way. I love you guys. And we see you all next week. Remember to live right, love everybody, and pray hard.